Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis on this edition of Carolina Newsmakers. And I'm pretty excited about this because I get to talk to Paul Meyer. He is the executive director for the North Carolina League of Municipalities. And that is a nonpartisan federation of more than 554 cities and towns and villages and, and everything else in North Carolina. Uh, Mr. Meyer, does that include uh, the, the big cities like Charlotte and Raleigh? Are they in there, too? They are. Yes. And uh, so let's get to the uh, urban uh, rural divide that we sure. hear in so much. How do you um, how do you uh, sort of uh, equate or um, match up the desires of a town like Raleigh and a town like Zebulon? Sure. Uh, yeah. Are there is there that much difference or am I just, you know, just uh, sort of bedazzled by the size difference? No, no, Rick, that's a great question. And uh, we get this a lot. Um <clears throat> The beauty of the league is uh, we have everybody in the same, under the same roof, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and mayors and council members from massive cities and mayors and council members from smaller communities get to be together, talk with one another, learn from one another. They typically find that like 95% of what they're working on is exactly the same. It doesn't matter whether it's Charlotte mm-hmm. or, or whether it's Chocowinity. You know, they're working on very much the same thing, which is improving the quality of life. Yeah for the residents that live in their communities. How they do it is different. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the challenges that uh, the mayor of Chacoinity is facing and the mayor of Charlotte are facing, those are two different dynamics. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of the league is they get to work together and try to figure out the best path for uh, North Carolina. Uh, Governor Cooper uh, came out with the big old bond, uh, uh, $3.9 billion. And of course, the headline was you know school construction, and the community colleges and UNC system, everybody's going to get some money. But there was a significant amount of money that was uh, designated to water systems. I'm assuming that that would go to your members. And if it is, uh, tell us kind of what the need is for uh, water and uh, infrastructure in general out there. Well, so cities are, you know, throughout history formed specifically for joint sharing of infrastructure, mm-hmm. urbanization, and how people could collectively work together. Uh, clearly, the, the governor in his in the bond package he's got in the budget he's got eight hundred million dollars set aside for uh, mostly rural water uh, and sewer infrastructure. And um, why is it directed primarily for the rural communities? Well, because in a lot of those communities you've got population decreases, demographic changes that are leading to f- areas that are struggling. You had you know, typically these towns were set up for a mill in the nineteen forties or fifties. Uh, that mill is now closed because those jobs went overseas or went somewhere else. Uh, and now you've got limited ratepayers. You've got a water system and a wastewater system that's dying on the vine and needs help. And I think there's a recognition from Governor Cooper that there's a state responsibility in helping those, uh, helping those areas deal with that issue. Is $800 million enough? Absolutely not. I think, our, I think the, short, uh, the, the studies that we've seen indicate that we've got a $29 billion uh, water and wastewater infrastructure deficit in the state. Now, there's lots of different ways you could measure that, yeah. but that includes the needs of growing communities. You know, think about Charlotte for a minute. They're rapidly growing, and they've got the opposite side of the coin. How do they keep up? You know, how do they keep up in expanding their infrastructure, not just maintaining what they what they have? You know, can you address the fact that uh, we, we, when you see all the big uh, stories that uh, – 
the media does it you know about North Carolina it's usually about it's a great place to live it's um, the economy's booming and all of that sort of thing but in reality they're really talking about five major cities um, and not the rest of North Carolina right. what are uh, you know and you talked about population decreases in some areas uh, talk about the big difference between the urban and, and the rural uh, areas you're very much on target we have 30 counties that have experienced population loss for long periods of time and that in those counties obviously that includes the municipalities within those counties so on one hand we've got sort of the old economy struggling to keep up and then as you said we've got massive population growth in probably five to ten counties and it's folks coming from out of state it's folks it's in migration folks moving from the rural areas to these larger areas uh, and I think we talked about water and wastewater just a minute ago um, part of this transition though is because those communities don't have modern tools you know they don't have in their communities what the what the mostly metro areas have specifically broadband infrastructure mm -hmm. and uh, if you think about our modern world and our modern economy uh, that's now a, a regular part of life for mm -hmm. the vast majority of the industrialized world and for areas that are under, either unserved or underserved, those areas are not going to be able to maintain population and job growth until that piece gets fixed, and the league is working on that specific topic. I think the state of North Carolina for almost 20 years has had some sort of rural uh, broadband uh, agency, and then, of yeah. course, there's the rural center. Are they getting the, uh, uh, the attention that uh, is needed from the legislature as far as moving things along as opposed to, okay, we're going to give you a little bit more money this year, see you next year? Well, uh, I would say I don't think we have a state strategy that, that is uh, comprehensive. Um, one of the missing elements of that strategy is municipal governments being a part of that solution. And many, many parts of the country, municipalities are participating in this in some way, typically in public-private partnerships to try to encourage private providers uh, to support that's a tough sell in it it well it, it's interesting we've had a debate about this uh, really over the last 15 years about the role of cities in our state in in that in telecom yeah um, we have a couple cities that own and operate broadband networks the city of Wilson owns and operates a a um, fiber optic network that's actually got the highest that the highest uh, bandwidth and and pa internet power of really? anywhere in the state the response, though, from the legislature was, "We don't want municipalities. We don't want you in that in that uh, in that role." And so, cities were taken out of that role about eight years ago, six years ago. But when we lost that authority to own and operate those systems, we also lost the ability to participate in public-private partnerships. So, the Trump administration has, I think, almost a billion dollars in USDA grants designed specifically for rural broadband expansion mm -hmm. that the cities in North Carolina cannot tap because of our state law restricting uh, municipal participation. So we can't get that federal money to assist in, in providing dollars to large telecoms or small startup companies to fill that unserved and underserved gap. Is there anybody in the legislature that uh, gets that right now, given that they just started their two-year biennium? It's a great question. We're talking with them actively about it. I know the Association of County Commissioners is also talking to them mm. about this. Um, and we talk about this in terms of rural communities, but there are also pockets in our large cities where 
the sort of your large telecom folks have just decided these are areas that are not profitable for us or they're too spread out and we can't serve them profitably. Yeah. And I get that. It's it's not um, – the cities are not trying to be the broadband provider, but we're trying to find ways to get it to uh, sir, uh, unserved and underserved areas so that economic prosperity and that potential can be there for everybody. And uh, let me see if I understand the problem is, uh, is let's say that, uh, you know, the Rick Martinez, uh, you know, broadband company, and I got this, you know, super duper service. Okay, where am I going to invest my money? Well, I can, right. you know, I can go to uh, Wake County uh, and, uh, you know, maybe uh, Garner or someplace like that, and you know, where I've got like well, probably 500 customers within – uh, probably you know, 10 square miles. And then if I go to Vance County, mm-hmm. you know, I may have uh, 500 customers and heck of a lot spread out a lot more. You got it. makes a lot more sense for me to go to the more dense place because it's going to be cheaper for me to operate right. as opposed to Vance County. And that, it, that's, 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 that's the, the exact deal. formula. And, you know, if you go back, I'm not even sure how long in history we had the same thing with telephone. And federal government created a universal service fund, and there were all these ways to try to enable smaller providers to fill those gaps or the larger providers to fill those gaps. And that's the exact pattern we're on here. This is one of our large pushes so that we can deal with the urban-rural divide you mentioned. This is one of the strongest ways to do that. Um, can you talk about the um, the role of the U.S. Department of Agriculture? Because I think a lot of people – would kind of assume that you know they're out there helping farmers and so forth, but they are. But another uh, division that they have is basically rural economic development. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they players in North Carolina? They are. And uh, we talk about filling this large gap in water, rural water, wastewater mm-hmm. um, infrastructure needs. They participate in that as well. That's a, another way. But federal money is drying up, mm-hmm. and so. We're looking for state money, and that's hard to come by, and local dollars are really hard to come by in those areas that are struggling. So it's a mess that we're trying to deal with. There's a lot of different parts to this. Um, but I guess it's exciting that we have an organization that's actively working on these on these pieces. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm proud of our, our organization. Okay. We're speaking with uh, Paul Meyer. He is the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities. And uh, we'll continue to... Uh, exploring the issues that are uh, facing more than 540 cities and towns and villages in our state. Hey, Dr. Phil here. I help people solve difficult and trying personal problems every day on my TV show, but there's one problem that's just got me stumped. Childhood hunger. Nearly 16 million children in America struggle with it. That's one in five kids who may not know where their next meal is coming from, despite the fact that there's more than enough healthy, nutritious food out there to feed them all. Now, I don't know about you, but that is unacceptable to me. Luckily, the Feeding America network of good people is out there collecting surplus food and giving hope to hungry children and their families at local food banks all across the country. But let's face it, they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? 
It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis on this edition of Carolina Newsmakers. Paul Meyer is with us. He's the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities. Uh, he is a graduate of Wake Forest University and got his law degree at Campbell, where he likes to brag all the time about how so many of their law degree uh, graduates uh, get uh, you pass the bar like like they're number one as far as you know, uh, beating all the law schools. There's at, actually a uh, discussion about having the Campbell law, law, the Campbell graduates not even have to take the bar anymore. Yeah, we're, it's just assumed. Yeah, right? absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great move. <clears throat> okay, well, so you can see what we're dealing with here, folks. <laughs> okay, um, you know, we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, the uh, rural development uh, primarily. Um, let me ask you about, um, you know, uh, an issue that doesn't get a lot of attention, and I think that you know, a lot of non-urban cities uh, are looking at, uh, you know, the retirement community because, you know, if you don't have to go to work uh, every day and fight traffic in, in the urban areas, man, I tell you, rural North Carolina is a great place to retire. I know that there's a couple of counties and cities that are actively pursuing that market. And then um, if you have situations where, uh, you know, a lot of kids in rural counties are coming uh, to uh, the Wake County or um, uh, Wilmington and uh, getting an education at one of our 17 campuses and deciding, I like it here. This is, that's a long way of getting to uh, aging populations. Is that becoming an issue for some of the 540 towns and villages? It is. Uh, you know, uh, what's, what's tough is in the changing economy, a lot of these towns are having to reinvent themselves, um, going through a visioning process about what the future is because the mill closed, you mm -hmm. know, or the large industrial piece is no longer there. And some of the communities have identified retirement, you know, a retirement sort of vision for yeah. the town that they that they in fact want this, that they are interested in becoming a very friendly place for retirees. That raises all kinds of questions about. Our transportation system, mm -hmm. it raises questions about health care, it raises questions about retail, and of course broadband, because if you start thinking through, you know, folks that aren't able to leave their homes readily or easily, right. uh, having that sort of, you know, ability to communicate with the world is really an important thing. Mm -hmm. So we have, we have a, actually a subset of our uh, league called the North Carolina Resort, I think it's called the Resort Towns something to that effect, mm -hmm. and they talk actively about issues related to elderly folks living in their communities and the steps that they have to take as leaders to create um, a local community that's amenable 
uh, for those folks and, and, and gives them the quality of life that they're looking for. Yeah, because I, I would assume that, uh, and you know, I'm just kind of making this up, but it, uh, as you said, there's a number of counties that are experiencing uh, depopulation, so to speak, and so maybe a, 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 um, a hospital or healthcare facility is a lot more important than a school. No, that's right. There, that would be that would be the push and pull, mm-hmm. and I think that um, you know it's it's it is harder to fulfill that vision when the only hospital is 65 miles away. Mm-hmm. You know, that becomes a much more of a challenge. So it's again, it's back to how do we have economic growth that the entire state is experiencing and sharing in, so that each town can live into the vision that they that they set that they kind of view. I mean, that's I guess the beauty of the league is we talked about. Chocowinity. We talked about Charlotte. Yeah. Every one of those communities has its own vision and view of what the area can be or what mm-hmm. it should be, what it could be, and um, it's the it's that diverse nature, that the, the diversity of these towns that um, is what is the strength of our of our federation of, of cities. Talk about um, the the tax situation because as I understand it, and tell and tell me if I'm wrong here, is is that the the taxing authority that every town and village that needs to you know to pay the bills and to provide the services every that has to be granted by the general assembly right and then in order and, and if that's the case is everybody pretty much happy the, with the way that things are are set up now or are there some really glaring uh you know uh, tax relief or tax authority that the general assembly should be uh, taking a look at so you're you're right on the legislature granting the ability to tax for not just for cities but for counties you know for for local governments. Um, the cities uh, at one point had a much broader tax base. They had a much broader ability to to tax different sources, and those those sources over time, over thirty years, have been taken away, uh, leaving the cities only with con- control of only the property tax rate. Um, in their jurisdiction. That's the only thing that they can control. Everything else has been given to county government to control or the state has taken those those uh, revenue sources away. Yeah. Without going too far down the line here, one of the biggest problems that we see, you know, cities, the investments that cities make are what ultimately pave the, pave the way for private sector investment. I mean, 80%, yeah, right. 80% of the jobs in our state are located within municipal boundaries. 75% of the sales that occur in our state occur within city limits. So the investments that cities make, typically in infrastructure, whether it be transportation, broadband, if we, if we could do that, mm-hmm. we're working on that one, uh, wastewater and water systems, that sort of plows the field or prepares a field for the private sector to plant seeds in to grow economic, to provide economic growth. Um, the issue, unfortunately, is that the cities will spend all the money. They'll do all, I mean, all these activities to try to encourage this type of activity. But when a sale occurs, as I said, 75% of the sales occur within municipal limits, but the cities only get 30% of the sales tax dollars, of the local sales tax dollars. The rest go to county governments. So if you ask me about a kind of an unfair situation or a problematic thing, it's that the cities are making these investments, and yet they don't reap the benefit to then – you know, have the ability to make mm-hmm. more investments. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, in some ways, it's a, it's a tough situation. The property taxpayers that live within those municipal boundaries are subsidizing all kinds of people uh, unwittingly, and we're working on trying sure. to create fairness in that. 
Now, let me see if I um, understand what you said here. Um, I used to live in Orange County, uh, mm-hmm. yep. and uh, which is pretty rural. Uh, and God forbid that I go into Chapel Hill to do anything because I'm a Duke fan. So uh, anytime, come out alive. Yeah, that's right. So anytime I wanted to, uh, you know, go down and uh, pick up a shovel or you know, have a restaurant, eat at a nice restaurant, or you yeah. know, anything, I went to Durham, and all yeah. my sales tax went to Durham uh, as opposed to Orange County, where where I live. Is that what you're kind of explaining here? You said 70% of, of retail or of sales transactions are in the urban areas, and you know. So if you went to Chapel Hill, let's just keep it. If you as an Orange County resident, if you decided, if you lived in the unincorporated area, yeah, I did, and you, and you came into Chapel Hill and you right. and you purchased something that had a sales a local sales tax uh-huh. applied to it, the county of Orange would take. Sixty-six percent of that, really, of that, mm-hmm. and and the and the city would only get a much smaller part, even though you were probably eating somewhere or or in a store mm-hmm. that the city made a transportation investment or yep, water and wastewater yep. to get to, mm-hmm. and this is the issue that we're talking about. Because of these policy decisions over time, we've set up a situation where taxes are going to for for the taxpayers in the city limit. Their property taxes are much more pressure on them over time. And so unless there's substantial growth, infill growth within the city, um, it's going to get tough. And property tax is really a sensitive type of tax because, first of all, you tend to see it in your mortgage payment every month when it goes up, so you're reminded of it. <laughs> to yes. it. And then there's the – I guess there's the capacity of – you know, there's only so much that you can raise without beginning to drive people out, particularly those who have the economic resources who you want, you know, to, hey, I, you know, heck with this, I'm going to go over to, That's right. you know, um, you know, uh, Roxborough or someplace to heck with Wake exactly. County. I'm, you know, okay. Or out of state. Or out of state, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so it's, yeah, and, and so if you think about the combined property tax rate between a county and a city, you know, these are things that, that are – you know, they're part of the economic development decisions for the companies that we're working with and that are you know hometown companies too. I mean, we, we, we don't want this to become such a burden that we create disincentives. But on the other hand, we have to be able to raise the money to do the things that we need to do. And that's the, so, Is that a touchy sis, uh, subject among your membership? Because, you know, I recall that I used to work for Governor McCory, and during that time there was a measure to, in essence uh, – redistribute uh, sales tax for the, the reasons that we had talked. Mm-hmm. Governor McCrory being the once mayor of Charlotte, oh, he kind of hit the you know hit, hit right. the ceiling over that and right, right. pretty much killed it or along with some other folks and so forth. Right. So is that a sensitive subject even within your membership? That's a tough one within uh, within the league's membership um, because there's uh, kind of winners and losers uh, winners mm-hmm. and losers being created in those redistribution formulas. Uh, we said all along that there are other ways to do exactly the kinds of things. You know, you, you can do it without having to, to pull directly from somebody's pie and putting it in somebody else's. Uh, but we sort of have the philosophy, uh, and when I say we, I'm talking about the mayors and council members that, that, are, that are leading our organization, that if you, if you elevate all ships, uh, you know, you don't have to do these types of things. Mm-hmm. Or you can do it through other resources, such as state resources. You know, you can transfer. And that's been going on for years. We've transferred money across the state 
through state budget. I mean, that's always happened. And for that matter, the federal budget yeah. that occurs. Let me ask you about schools because that's a separate entity. Um, but goodness gracious, the ability to attract uh, residents and businesses is so dependent upon uh, schools. What is the gen- what is the working relationship, assuming there is one, generally speaking, between uh, your members and the school districts around the state? So uh, what I would say to you is um, there's not sc- – cities are not involved in this type of thing. I mean, th- mm-hmm. the core function of cities is about sort of economic development, infrastructure, basic services for residents, utilities. You know, those are the kinds of things that we do. Yeah. So we don't have a, a lead role really really any role at all in in education uh, i know there are some folks that would like to see cities involved in that uh, but that's not really what we do the county governments are in school capital you know they're they're not they fund them yeah they're mm-hmm. in school capital but that's not been a role that we've been given under state statute and and so i wouldn't say it's a bad relationship i just say it's not one that we're really it's just not really a lane that we're in and you, and I guess you guys got enough to do as it is, right? We there, the cities are already <laughs> stretched enough. Uh, I I know that um, it's it's just not it's just not somewhere yeah. we need to be. Is are the rural uh, areas? Uh, well, I guess everybody, not just necessarily the wor- rural areas, uh, are they getting the um, a proper amount of attention with it comes to transportation, particularly uh, roads? Because um, and the governor's. Uh, proposal for bonds he did there's no there's no transportation uh, uh, in that right. it's basically school construction uh, water and sewer and so forth I mean are you guys good on that you don't need uh, any bond <laughs> money there you're, you're you guys are fine well um, yeah I, I think you know the answer to that on that one uh, so to kind of help all the listeners uh, the cities so for whether you're the cities in our state own and operate um, about 15% of the state's transportation network. The state has the other 85%. Mm-hmm. County governments don't own or operate roads in North Carolina. And, and we are one really? of- I did not know that. We are one of two states where the counties have no role in funding road infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And so so that's a heavy burden. We have 20, I believe I believe it's 22 million miles of roads, or maybe it's, maybe it's not a million miles, but we've got- It's a fi- bunch. It's a bunch. We've got 15% of it, uh, and the, the cities get a share of the gas tax. They get a, 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 law, a fixed share of the gas tax, and that, and that amount of money has not, is not indexed. It does not, it hasn't increased for years and years. Yeah. And so um, it, there are formulas that it's distributed through, but it's just not enough money to get the job done. Um, and then for, again, for the listeners, a lot of times you might be in a, in a town or a city driving on a road and you think this is the city of Raleigh's road when in fact it is a state road. And so the maintenance schedules between what a city does and what a state does are different. Yeah, that's right. The cities yeah. <clears throat> almost always have a much more aggressive maintenance schedule than the state road. So a major road going through a small town or, or even a major road going through a big town or a not-so-major road is actually a state road, and people call the mayor and complain about the potholes <laughs> on X road, and the mayor can yeah. do nothing about it because yeah. it is not their road. <laughs> we have seen over the last 10 years a number of cities that will issue their own transportation bonds paid for by the local taxpayers, yeah. and then a portion of that money is spent on a state road 
that the state has not maintained mm. well enough, and they don't get reimbursed from the state. Mm. This is just the city bailing out where the state has not held up their end of the bargain. So not only do we have our own local issues to deal with, but we're also subsidizing the uh -huh. state in certain ways as well. This is not to say the DOT is a bad partner. They're a very good partner for, yeah. our, for our folks. It's just that there's not enough money in this system for what we have built, which is a very large road network. And um, I don't want to get off on this topic, but th this is a, another hard one to solve because those cars are becoming more and more fuel efficient. Yeah. And we have vehicles that are now hybrid and electric and all kinds mm -hmm. of things. They're not People aren't even buying gas. And that, of course, is the funding mechanism for paying for these repairs. Well, uh, I want to tell you that, uh, you know, Mr. Meyer, it's been, a, it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking uh, time out to educate uh, and inform and entertain um, uh, our, uh, our listeners uh, throughout the state of North Carolina. Appreciate you being Thank here. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate it. All right. All right, Rick Martinez in for uh, uh, Don Curtis on this edition of Carolina Newsmakers. Don will be back next week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.